Well, it's been a good morning so far. Enjoying the uh, worship of God. I don't know about you, I love that uh, new song that we did, Everlasting Arms. That's uh, Lou Fellingham's song. Lou came and led worship at our conference here a few years ago, and uh, she's still writing amazing songs. That's one of them. So, so we'll be singing that one lots more. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at uh, Christ Central Church, and I want to give you a very warm welcome uh, again. So uh, we've got lots of things going on at the moment in Christ Central Church. Do keep up to speed with everything that is happening. Uh, there's been things flicking on the screen over the, uh, uh, before the meeting and uh, during, and obviously you can go online and find out everything that's happening. We've got a kids club starting up next week. We've got um, Fuel has relaunched this last week. Uh, we've got the men's and women's weekends coming up. Next weekend, we've got a guest uh, coming over from England, from my old church, actually, in Sheffield, Ginny Bergen. She's been here before, um, and she's going to be speaking uh, next Sunday. She's going to be giving her testimony of healing, which is an amazing testimony. You don't want to miss that. Make sure you're here next Sunday. We're going to be praying for healing off the back of that as well. Um, so if you've got friends as well who you think that would be really helpful for, come invite them along um, and, uh, and, and come next week. And then uh, and tag uh, the prayer meeting next Sunday evening. Ginny will be um, helping us and speaking into um, tongues, uh, speaking in tongues, which is something which is, uh, brings a lot of confusion to a number of people. So hopefully that will really help us and uh, in, especially help us in our worship and help us in our prayer life. And uh, so come along to put that in your schedules as well. Tag next Sunday evening, 7.30. So next week, Ginny will be here. Uh, she's arriving on Friday. She's meeting some of us on Saturday evening as well. Um, okay. So we've been looking at Mark's gospel when I've been preaching the last few months. And we're up to Mark chapter 6. We're slowly working our way through it. There's so much in this gospel um, which can feed us and encourage us about Jesus. And we're up to chapter 6, verse 45. We'll read that in a moment. You can follow it in your own Bibles. You can follow it on the screen here in a moment. Last time we saw how Jesus fed 5,000 uh, people, or more than 5,000 people. It said 5,000 men. Um, we saw that there was such a great need, didn't we? Um, we saw that there was limited resources, and then we saw that there was God. And often we can find ourselves in situations where there's huge need limited resources, but the great thing is that we have God, and God can break into some of those. And, uh, you know, the context in the Bible is the disciples had been trying to find some peace, some rest, some time away from the crowds. It had been a busy time, a busy schedule, and uh, they, the, they'd been out healing and preaching and casting out demons, and they just hadn't even had time to eat. But the crowds had followed them, so Jesus had, had compassion on them. He taught them. Um, the disciples just wanted them gone, to be honest. They were tired. They were hungry. Um, they were kind of, what's the word? Hangry. They were hangry. Um, <laughs> and uh, they wanted them gone. But then Jesus involved them in this amazing miracle of feeding all these people. I mean, if you're going to be involved in a miracle, that'd be enough to drive the tiredness away, wouldn't it? You'd get a bit of a buzz. You'd get a bit of adrenaline going then. Um, if, if this is going on, some excitement back into their lives. Um, that's where we're at. So let's pick up the story in, uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse 45, which says this. Oh, is this going to work? Have I even got it on? Oh, you're going to have to flick for me at the back, I think. 
Oh, no. That's just leapt ahead. Probably because I'm going. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> <laughs> immediately, the disciples, uh, immediately, sorry, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them, ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake, as you do. He was about to pass them by. <laughs> just says it. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, "Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid." Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they'd not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. All right. So, as I said, you can imagine the buzz and the excitement around after Jesus' miracle. Uh, the people, increasingly, as they've been following Jesus, he's been healing them, he's been casting out demons, setting them free from bondage, but then he's doing this amazing miracle. They're seeing this is no ordinary miracle, if you have an ordinary miracle worker. This is no ordinary guy. Uh, this is no uh, healer or teacher. He, he's doing these incredible things, producing food out of nowhere. Um, John 6.14 fills in the gaps that we don't have in this passage. And uh, John says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They're beginning to see something about who Jesus is. They're saying, he's the, maybe he's the promised one. Maybe he is the Messiah who was promised uh, to come into the world. And it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Mark doesn't tell us the reason, but it's, it's there. It's the same reason why Jesus went up, up to the mountain because the people are thinking, this is the Messiah. But they were expecting a political Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah to come who was going to actually rule and reign instead of the Roman occupiers who were there. He was going to come and rule and reign and, and, and be king. That's what they thought wasn't the case, but that's what they thought. And so Jesus is seeing that the people are talking about this, and there's a, there's a real danger that they're going to get hold of him and say, come on, we're going to go, we're going to get into Jerusalem, we're going to make you king, uh, establish a political kingdom. But that isn't what God's plan for Jesus is. That's not what God had planned for Jesus, and Jesus knows this. He knows that he has come not to be an impressive earthly king, he's come to be a servant king, a servant messiah. He knew that before there was going to be exaltation, there's going to be suffering. He knew that the way ahead of him was the way of the cross. It's a way of shame. It's a way of seeming defeat rather than glory and power. And it's a way that no one else was actually going to understand, not even his disciples. His disciples, too, at that point thought that he was going to be that political messiah. That's why later on when Jesus says explains it to his disciples. Peter says, no, this must never happen to you. You can't die. You can't do that. You're the Messiah. So the temptation for Jesus to go another, re another way is actually very real. He has to escape 
this situation. He doesn't want to be pressured in or forced into something. He, he needs to get before his heavenly Father. He needs to pray. He needs to say, Father, it's your will, not anyone else's will, that is important in this situation. I've got to follow what you are asking me to do. Because the Christianity or the, or the way that his father had for him was very different from the way of men and women. We too have the temptation to make our Christianity into something very different from what Jesus said it would be. Jesus said, following me is going to be this way. And often we can have it presented, oh no, if you follow Jesus, this is what your life's going to be like. And it can look very different. It can be very different pictures. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's what Jesus said the way was. Whoever wants to follow me to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily and follow me. So Jesus, he bore the cross. He didn't bear our cross, despite what the otherwise excellent song, This Is Amazing Grace, would tell us. Um, you know that song, This Is Amazing Grace, and it says that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. And whenever it comes to that, I'm like, no, but Jesus didn't bear our cross. He told us to take up our cross. And you might think, ah, oh, that's just pedantic. You know, you're just being picky about those words. No, not being picky. Jesus took our sin. He bore our sins. He bore our punishment. He bore the wrath of God, which we deserved. But he didn't bear our cross. In fact, his amazing grace enables us to take up our cross. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow my way. I'm leading the way, but not, and so that you're escaping all of these things, but not so that you are escaping difficult things in life. Not that you're escaping the way that I would want you to go. You take up your cross. Some people say, oh no, following Jesus, that brings you health and wealth and happiness and a great life and all your problems disappear. Well, not according to God's word. It doesn't. Not according to the Bible. If we submit to the life of Christ, the life that Christ would have us lead, we die to our desires. We take up our cross. We're walking down a much harder road. Struggle and sacrifice are ahead. And there are preachers and churches out there, and there are many, many of them, which will tell you that life here on earth will be easier if you follow Jesus. Life here on earth. That is a lie. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. it it's not easier. And if we believe that and, get, and go along with it and get fooled into that, then when life is difficult, we can think, oh, well, this wasn't what I signed up for. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross. That is what you're signing up for. That is what we're doing. We'll see that even in this passage. So Jesus, he gets his disciples who are, who are probably going along with the crowd somewhat, and he says, you've got to get in this boat. You've got to get away from here. He, he, he makes his disciple get into the boat. It's interesting, that word, isn't it? He makes his disciples get into the boat. They don't want to. They're probably not wanting to go. They're probably wanting to stay that where the excitement is. Here's the excitement. We've just had this miracle happen. 5,000 people being fed. And Jesus, you're telling us we've got to get into the boat and go away? Now, they wanted to go away earlier. They wanted some peace and quiet, but not now. 
And Jesus is saying, I'm making you get into the boat. Go on, get in. He pushes them into the boat, pushes them out. Off you go. (laughs) He's getting rid of them. He doesn't want them around. He doesn't want them joining with the crowd. He doesn't want them getting the wrong idea. And then he goes up to the mountainside to pray. And so his disciples, while he's up the mountainside praying, his disciples are rowing in in their boat and they're battling. They're battling. They're struggling for hours, battling the wind, battling the waves, as we'll see. So what, what did Jesus pray? Well, it doesn't make it explicit what Jesus prayed. As I've said, we can imagine that he prayed, Father, it's your will, not my will, because of what the crowds were wanting him to do. But almost certainly, he will have been praying for his disciples too. Jesus will have been praying for his disciples and for the battles that they were facing. And it's encouraging to know that in the storms of life, we have Jesus praying for us. Jesus himself said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Simon. He prayed for Peter, and he told him he had. And he said, I've prayed that your faith might not fail. Because Sometimes when we're facing the battles and hardships and walking the way of Jesus and taking up our cross, we need Jesus always. We need Jesus praying that our faith would not fail because it's tough. And so the disciples are battling this storm and Jesus is probably almost certainly praying for them that their faith will not fail. Right now though, the disciples don't know that Jesus is praying for them. They've got no idea. All they know is they've just been part of this amazing miracle. Jesus is then saying, you've got to get out of here. They're saying, okay, Jesus, are you getting in the boat with us? And he's saying, no, 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 I'm not getting in the boat with you. I'm going up the mountain to pray. And he goes off and they're confused. And well, what's going on? What do you mean you're not coming with us? I thought we hung about together. I thought we were following you. And now you're sending us off on our own. And then we're battling these waves and this wind and Jesus, you're not even there. And it's hour after hour into the middle of the night. And they're struggling and the winds are against them. They've got their sails down. They've got their oars out. They're battling the waves. I mean, it's not like last time when they were in a storm and it was life-threatening. You remember that one where they were like, we're going to drown. It's not as bad a storm as that, but it's one of those just battles where they're trying to get from one place to another and the wind is blowing in the opposite direction and they just cannot make any headway. They just cannot make any headway. It's just hard work and they're getting nowhere. And it might not be as bad as before, but at least Jesus was with them before. At least Jesus was in the boat with them. At least they could wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care? But right now, Jesus isn't even in the boat with them. They can't say to him, Jesus, don't you care? But they're wondering it. Well, where is he? He's gone off on his own. And we're just battling and it's dark and it's the darkest hour and he's not even here. Does he even care? Does he even care? That image of of the disciples on a boat out on a lake in the middle of wind and rough seas, that is 
a very common picture of Christian life, of our Christian life. So often we feel like we're in the middle of life's struggles and just getting nowhere. We feel like that, that we're just battling and there's wave after wave coming. We just hit another wave. Oh, it pushes us back. Okay, we'll battle again. We'll keep going. The wind's against us and then there's another wave. Oh, it just knocks you again. And you're like, what's going on? And it's just relentless, wave after wave, hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year. And we think, are we getting anywhere? Are we getting anywhere in our life here? And we, and we just feel like we're getting blown even in the wrong direction. And, and, but what else are we going to do? We just keep going. But we're getting more and more weary. More and more weary. The disciples would have been miserable. They would have been tired. They would have been soaking wet. And they must have wondered, does Jesus even care? We've been gone for hours. Where is he? Where is Jesus? I mean, it, it's not too long ago that they would have actually been looking pretty impressive. It's not too long ago that they were out in Jesus' name, healing people, casting out demons. They came back. They were excitedly reporting it to Jesus. It was loads going on. And yeah, they were tired, but they were a bit on a high. But then they saw the miracle with the loaves and fishes. Oh, yeah, that's great. But very quickly, just a few hours later, they're struggling again. And they're aware of their weakness. And that's how it can be for us. We, we, can, we can move very quickly from an encounter with God, even a powerful encounter with God. Maybe on a Sunday morning, we can come to church and we can, and we can gather and we can feel, oh, God's here. I've had a great time in his presence. God's speaking to me. I'm full of faith. And we can walk out the door and within an hour, within minutes sometimes, it's all come crashing down. Where's God now? I thought I was in his presence. He was so real. But now it seems a million miles away. Where's God? We can very quickly move from being in God's presence to despair. And we can ask those same questions. Does, does Jesus even care? Where is God when you need him? We can start out with real enthusiasm and energy and zeal about something. But then it just goes. And we just, we just want to give up. We just want to give up. We want to quit. Brent was talking to me. He was just chatting yesterday, and he just happened to mention. He, he'll, he said, I could say this. Bless him. <laughs> Normally, you'd just give an example from your own life, but I'm going to choose Brent. <laughs> no, he said, he said that the quote under his yearbook, under his photo in his yearbook one year, uh, was something that he said once about math. And he was struggling with math. And his quote was, this is tricky, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said the other day, he said, it's a good job I've got the Holy Spirit in my life now. Because <laughs> otherwise, that's where we would all be. This is tricky, that's how we can all feel, isn't it? If you don't feel like that sometimes about the Christian life, you're unusual. Because we, we can feel like that. We can set out with great intentions. We can set out with 
thinking we're going to make a difference in people's lives. And it can just seem like we're getting nowhere. And it gets messy and we get frustrated and we get more and more weary with the situation. And we can just think, this is tricky. I quit. I quit. I mean, the disciples would have been thinking, hang on, why are we even in this situation in the first place? Well, why were they? Because Jesus told them to. And they obeyed him. They did what Jesus told them to do. And that's what led them there. I mean, they could have been in a much better place. They could have had a much better time staying on land, telling stories about the great miracles Jesus had done, reveling in, in, in the shared glory of Jesus and all this bread and, oh, yeah, let's just stay and we can stay a while longer and eat. And, and, and they could have planned the revolution and everything. But instead, they've been obedient to Jesus and it was their obedience which put them in the uncomfortable situation. It was their obedience that led them to hardship. That's why it's so important for us to remember what Brent and Jerusha, through her testimony, her story, taught us last week about the eternal glory which is ahead of us and outweighs all of our present troubles, which are light and momentary in comparison. If we don't have that eternal perspective, then we're just going to flounder. We're going to struggle. We need to have that. The encouraging thing is that in this passage, we can read in verse 48, it says about Jesus, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. John's gospel, I think, says they were three and a half miles out, which is a long way out. Well, either Jesus has got very good eyesight, or he's, well, he's high up on a mountain, so he can probably see this little speck, and he's thinking, well, they're not moving very far here. They're kind of in the same position, just being blown about. But he's watching them. He sees them. His eyes are on them. He was looking at them with love. He was looking at them with concern. He was praying. As far as his disciples were concerned, he left them alone. But he had them. He had them. And he doesn't. Jesus never leaves us alone. Yes, there are times when we question him. Yes, there are times when we think, I can't see him now. But he sees us. And he's still praying for us. But they weren't, they're saying he's not here. So why does God delay? Why does God delay? Why wasn't he there with them? Why does he leave us with a sense that he's not with us? Sometimes, even though he is, we just don't feel he is. Why does he do that in us? Because sometimes we can think, well, our faith just evaporates. Well, the, the question is, are we going to believe God when there's a delay? Are we going to trust him or are we going to quit? Interesting what Joe prayed out early on in the meeting. He came and he brought that passage about Lazarus. And, and this wasn't really the main point he was making, but as he read the passage, it struck me because... Um, I forget which one it was, either Mary or Mark. They both said it in different ways. They said, Jesus, if you'd have come, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Well, why wasn't he there? It's a really interesting passage to read it. It's in John's Gospel. If you read it, 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 says, it says, Jesus loved Lazarus. And he loved Martha and Mary. And then it says, 
So because of that, he stayed where he was for three more days. Well, that doesn't make sense. Why does he say that? Oh, I love them. My, my friend Lazarus is dead. We'd be like, we've got to get there straight away. Jesus is like, I love him. So I'm going to stay here for three more days. Huh? Go figure. What does that mean? Interesting passage, but I'm not preaching on that. <laughs> I could do. <laughs> Jesus had a better plan. And he, he explains it later on in that passage. It's worth reading. He, he, he says, I... I did this so that you would be glorified, God. He had something better. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that, he's healed people all the time, but now he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Mary and Martha didn't know that. Lazarus didn't know that as he's getting sicker and sicker. We don't know what God's plans are for us. You see, we can think we've just been cut adrift and cast aside and that Jesus doesn't even care for us. And where is he? And why are we out here? And why are we doing what we're doing? And why is nothing changing with my job that I'm battling with time and time again? And it's just wearing me down, as Steve was saying. And why? And why am I still single? And why have I still not got kids? And why am I family sick? And why we've got so many whys? And Jesus, where are you? We can't see you. He can see us. And he's got a better plan. In Hebrews 11, there's a list of people, a whole list of people who are commended for their faith, who believed. And at the end of Hebrews 11, in verse 39 and 40, it says, these were all commended for their faith. And then it says, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were commended for their faith. You thought, oh, great, they pressed through and they received what had been promised. No, none of them did. None of them did. Why? God had planned something better. He'd planned something better for us. So that only together with us, because they're coming into it, would we and they be made perfect. You see, God's plan is far greater than we could ever imagine. And we can see things from such a narrow perspective and think, but God, if you are here, you would do that. And God says, no, I've, got, I've planned something better. I've planned something better. I've planned a resurrection. I've got something better for you. Well, I don't see it, Jesus, no. But will you trust me? Will you press in? Will you believe in me? I'll come to that passage in a second. Sometimes we can act like, like children with God. We can say, well, this is what we want. This is what we need. We want it now. If you've got kids, you'll know that they've said that to you before now. I want this. Can I have an ice cream? Now. Maybe later. Now! <laughs> it's like the, the Queen song. I'm showing my age now. The Queen song. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. <laughs> it's a great song. It's the, it's the song of our age. <laughs> That's what we feel. We want it now. 
But parents know not to give, well, they should know, hopefully they know, not to give their kids what they ask for just because they ask for it now. Sometimes we don't do that. Often we don't. Why? Because we teach them patience. We teach them responsibility. We teach them to wait. And God is doing the same with us. He encourages us. In Hebrews 10, he encourages us. He says, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Don't just throw it away. Don't just quit. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. We need to persevere. Don't just quit. Don't just throw away our confidence in God because it's hard, because we're going through battles, because we can't see Jesus. He's coming. He will come. He doesn't go back on his promises. We can know. And in the same way that us teaching our children's patience, that's actually us being loving. Our kids don't think that. Why can't I have that ice cream now? Oh, you're just mean. (laughs) We're not just being mean. There's a reason behind it. They can't see it. They can't see the reason. We can't see it sometimes, and and we're like kids. But God, in the same way that we're teaching our kids patience, perseverance, endurance, God's teaching us. It's actually a sign of God's love for us, that God doesn't just give us it all now. It shows his grace. It shows his care. Because Jesus does come. And in this passage, Jesus did come come to them. So he sees them, and then it says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He went out to them, miraculously again. And the passage says, he was about to pass them by. That's interesting, isn't it? Why why is he going to do that? What does that mean? He was about to pass them by. Well, many of the readers... Of, of Mark would have been aware of the passage in Job. And Job chapter 9 says this about God. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Treads on the waves of the sea. Jesus walking on the water. He is the maker of the bear and the these are stars, the Orion and the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that not be count, cannot be counted. When he passes me by... When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. So that will have just been, it will have like been a trigger for people reading it. Ah, oh, Jesus walking on the water and going to pass him by. That's Job. What happened to Job? His life fell apart. Job's life fell apart. Job was in deepest despair. Yet he knew God was going to come. But he couldn't see him. Couldn't perceive him. And, and that's often the time Jesus comes to us, when we are in our deepest, darkest part of the night. Well, that's what they say, isn't it? It's darkest just before the dawn. And that's when Jesus came to them, shortly before the dawn. And we realize when Jesus comes to us that whatever strength we have is absolutely futile. We, we, we've just about given up by then. We're totally dependent on him. The disciples see Jesus 
and they think he's a ghost. They think he's a ghost. So, and they're terrified. And Jesus says immediately, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The first assumption when Jesus comes out to them is that it's something negative. I mean, they're believing in the supernatural, and Jesus is certainly doing supernatural miracles. He's walking on the water, but they're not thinking it's Jesus. They're thinking it's evil. They're thinking it's a ghost rather than God. They're not, at this point, even expecting Jesus to turn up. I mean, come on. They're out in the middle of a lake. They're three and a half miles out. They're battling the wind. They've not seen Jesus walk on the water before. They've seen other things, but they're like, and who's this coming towards us? It's got to be a ghost. It's Jesus. We can get to the point when our hearts, and it says their hearts were hardened. We can get to the point when our hearts are hardened, when we've battled so much, when we've struggled so much, when we're just about to quit, and, and we, we actually don't expect Jesus to show up anymore. We don't think it's going to be Jesus. We just think it's going to be something negative. Oh, something else is happening. Because we've been hit wave after wave after wave after wave. And then who's this coming? Oh, it's going to be a ghost. It's got to be something evil. It's got to be something else which is going to knock us down. That's Jesus. But we're only expecting something negative. Mark says they hadn't understood about the loaves because their hearts and their hearts were hardened. Interesting. It's interesting. Like Some of the things that it says in this passage, they're like, what? They hadn't understood about the loaves. What's that got to do with Jesus walking on the water? What's the loaves got to do with being in a boat? This is what it's got to do with that. They've just seen Jesus perform an amazing miracle, have great provision, only a few hours before. But they haven't applied anything from that miracle. They've just seen it and said, oh, great, bread, fish, we can all be fed. But they haven't shown, they haven't understood in their hearts that that means Jesus is caring for them. I mean, he had compassion on the people. He spoke to them. He didn't send them away. He fed them. He cares for us. And so the lesson to learn from that is God cares for us. That's what they should have taken away. But they didn't. They didn't understand that that's what that miracle was showing. They're just seeing it at face value. Sometimes people can do that. Sometimes people can get healed. People pray for you. Oh, I've got healed. Amazing. Oh, I can... I can walk again. I can see again. I can do whatever I couldn't do again. Well, what's that telling you about God? I don't know. I can walk again now, so that's great. Yeah, but what does that say about God's love for you? I don't don't really care about that. Until the next time something happens, oh, God doesn't care for me. No. If God does something in your life, that shows he loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. He'll never leave you. They'd not understood that. They'd not understood that. They hadn't applied it. That Jesus isn't going to abandon them. Do you remember they, they had 12 basketfuls of bread left over? 12 basketfuls of bread. I wonder where those baskets are now. I don't suppose Jesus took them up the mountain with him. They're probably in the boat. They're probably in the boat with them. So it's probably why they were struggling to row. 
12 basketfuls of bread and fish. And so they're there. Evidence of God's care for them, perhaps. We're speculating, but, you know, it's a good chance they were in the boat. It's a good chance they were munching on the loaves and the fish and going, where's Jesus when you need him? <laughs> Do you want another bit of bread? <laughs> They're not understood what that bread meant. It, it's so easy to forget what God's done for us. To forget that God's a God who provides. And and we can think God's left us, but we've got the evidence of God's past provision right before us. Right before us. We can be in the benefit of it, and we still think God's left us. We can start thinking, oh yeah, but that was then, this is now. God provided before, but he doesn't look as though he's going to now. No, he's done it, and he'll do it again. He'll do it again. We can, we can say that individually, we can say it as a church. Oh, we've got no money. We've got no money. How can we do these things? God's not providing. Well, he's provided a building for us on Brunswick Street. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He did, he did do that in the past. But he's not providing for us now. Well, he's provided some land that we got miraculously on Limerick Road. If you talk about, you know, hear the story of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I kind of remember he did that. But, but we've got no money now. Where's God? Well, we're seeing the evidence of God all around us. His blessing. Remembering God's provision in the past helps us to have courage for the future. Jesus says, take courage. We've been encouraged this morning. We've praised God. What have we praised God for? What was the specific thing, the theme that was coming through? What God has already done. We're praising God for what he's already done. But what does that mean? It means we can trust God for what he's going to to do. He's not going to leave us. The victory has already been achieved. The battle has been won. So we can trust him. And we know we've got an eternity with him. Whatever happens. But we have to be aware of a hard heart because it says their hearts were hardened. So we have to guard against our hearts. We have to guard our hearts. Protect them. Take courage. Remember what Jesus has done before. Remember who Jesus is. Jesus says, it is I. Those words would have meant something as well to the disciples. It would have reminded them of, of Moses going before the, the bush, which was on fire, but not getting consumed, the burning bush, it's often called, and where he stands and God says, I am. He says, I am. That meant, I'm God. That's his name. I am. So when Jesus says, it is I, they would have been, oh, you're God. This is God. This isn't just a man. This is God. We can take courage because of who God is and what he has done. So how does this whole scene end? Well, Jesus gets into the boat and the wind dies down in an instant. John's account, interestingly, tells us that it says, once they realized it was Jesus, they let him into the boat. And then immediately, they were at the place where they were heading. So they've been battling to get there all day.
But once they realized it was Jesus, they let him into the boat, and immediately they were at the place they were getting. Does it say that? Yeah, there we go. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. We can spend forever trying to make something happen in our own strength. We can just battle and battle and just say, we're just going to keep going. We've just got to keep trying harder. But when Jesus comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, the wind that's going on in our lives can ease in an instant. God can change things in an instant at his timing when he comes to us. We have to realize it's him. We have to still trust him. We have to let him into the boat. We can just think, no, no, we're going to keep going. I'm not sure it's you, Jesus. You look a bit like a ghost. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. I'm going to just keep battling and rowing as hard as I can. We're not going to get anywhere. As soon as we realize it's you, Jesus, okay, come on in. Come on in. There's only you can do this. And then immediately they reach the shore where they're heading. Question is, are we going to allow Jesus into the boat of our lives? Are we going to allow Jesus to, to let Jesus into the boat of our lives? Or are we just so consumed with all this effort that we just don't let him in? Maybe you've never allowed Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you've never wanted to follow him. Maybe you've never said, actually, Jesus, I need you. Maybe you just try and, and work, figure out life yourself. And you know it's a battle, but you just stubbornly resist and you say, I don't know. I'm kind of scared of God. I'm scared of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I want to hand control over to, to, to Jesus. So I'm just going to keep battling. And Jesus is saying, no, it's me. It's me. You can welcome me. And we say, no, no, no. And we just battle and battle and get more and more weary in life. If that's you today, do what the disciples did. Take Jesus in. Receive him. Receive him. If we obey Christ, there will be lots of storms and difficulty and weariness and stress and anxiety and sorrows. But we need to know Christ sees everything. He knows us. He's praying for us even in the storm and he comes to us walking on the problems that afflict us. Jesus is calling us to take courage. He's calling us to have faith, to trust who he is, to remember what he's done, to remember that he'll do it again. It was an interesting question that Jackie asked. Where's Jackie? I can't see her. There. It was a good question. How would we live our life if we had no fear? Interesting, this passage, I was talking to Andy earlier, and he said, what are you preaching on? And I said, oh, Jesus walking on the water. And he said, oh, yeah, where he says to Peter, get out of the boat. I said, actually, that's not in this version of the story that I'm preaching from. So I wasn't actually even going to mention it because it's not in this particular passage, but it did happen because it's there in the other accounts. The reason it didn't happen, the reason Mark probably doesn't say it is because Mark got his information from Peter, and Peter probably was like, I'm not going to tell you that part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> so Matthew Mark doesn't record it. But it happened. <laughs> we know it from other people. What did he say? If it's you, Jesus, then tell me to come to you. And so he does. 
and he gets out of the boat and he walks on water for a while. While his eyes are on Jesus, he walks on the water until he starts looking at the wind and the waves. Then he starts to sink. He gets fearful. So he starts to sink. How would we live our life if we had no fear? There's the answer. We'd be able to take those steps of faith. We'd be able to walk to Jesus on the water. Even though we're in the middle of a storm and the wind is going and the waves are going, we will be able to say, if it's you, Jesus, call me to come to you. And we'll be able to start to take those steps of faith. And what happened to Peter? He began to sink, but Jesus reached out and he grabbed him. And he'll do that with us. There'll be times when we take our eyes off Jesus, when we get fixed on the wind and the waves and we get fearful again. And Jesus is always there to receive us. He's so gracious. He's so gracious. He never gave up on his disciples. Time and again, he'd say things like, have you still not understood? Have you still not got faith? But he's not saying it in an angry way. He's saying, come on, you'll get there. You'll get there. Come on, I'll pick you up again. I'll lift you up. Now, come on. Let's go. I'm with you. Don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Hebrews 3, 7 says, Today, as the Holy Spirit says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Will we go where he asks us to go, even when it's not the life we would necessarily choose? or the easiest life? Will we keep believing he's with us even when we can't see him? Will we have faith of God in God because of who he is and what he's done? Will we keep on being patient and persevering until Jesus comes? First Peter 1, 6-9 says, In all of this, all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But he says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, and many of us don't, if we're honest, you love him, you believe in him, and are filled with an inexplicable and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Keep our eyes fixed on what's to come, and we can receive some of that now. And it will sustain us in the mid middle of our trials and our battles. And we'll know God's peace, and we'll know he's at work. So let's pray, shall we? Father God, I do thank you for your word. I do thank you that you encourage us through your word, that your word is so real, is so true, that it speaks to where we're at so often, that we can find ourselves like the disciples and just wondering where you are and have you left us. Thank you for the encouragement this morning that we see you haven't. You love us. You're praying for us. You're encouraging us. You're lifting our eyes to eternity. You're saying, keep going, not in your own strength. Invite me in. Invite me in to your life. Jesus, we love you. We want to lean on you. Lean hard. 
on the everlasting arms. We want to embrace that, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you, even in the worship time, so many things just confirming what you wanted to say to us this morning. Will you speak it into our hearts, not for a temporary feeling of peace, but for a lasting peace, even in the midst of the storms of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.